Good morning. <laughs> that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John chapter 20, 19 through 31. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Good morning. It's nice to have James Earl Jones in the congregation. Um, my name is Logan. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, I'm glad that you chose to be here today uh, because God wants to heal you. God wants to make you whole. That he wants to take every single part of your life, anything that is broken, anything that has been destroyed, and he wants to resurrect, restore, and make it better. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about healing of your wounds. And we've talked about physical healing before. I've talked about that. And we believe that that is real, that God wants to heal 
sometimes temporarily your physical body, sometimes forever, so that you would know that he feels your pain, that he's more powerful than your pain, and that he can overcome it. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what's commonly called inner healing today, the, the wounds of your souls and how God comes to heal those. That there are these soul wounds. Many of us know exactly what I'm talking about. You have these bad memories, these bad moments, these bad decisions. Maybe they were years and years ago. Maybe they were this morning. And they are distracting you even as you sit here right now. They're plaguing you. They are motivating you. They drive you. They dictate how you interact with other people, how you view God, how you view the world around you. And God says, I didn't come just to heal you in eternity, but I came to heal those wounds, the wounds that no one sees, but everyone feels the effects of. Uh, My daughter, uh, Maya, is eight years old, and this week she couldn't sleep. And any of you who have kids know that sometimes kids just love to prolong the bedtime, Uh, but this wasn't one of those moments. She uh, couldn't sleep because she had this bad memory. And the bad memory was from our ski trip uh, a couple months ago where she decided to go with her brothers on a double black diamond. Mm. Ooh. (laughs) Everyone's like, what's going to happen? It's really not that exciting. Um, And so here she was learning to ski, feeling confident, feeling strong, and taking a risk. And she had this bad experience of a bad fall. She didn't get hurt, but it scared her. It spooked her. Something two months ago was preventing her from going to sleep on Tuesday night. And then on Friday, when I picked her and her brother up from school, she was fairly sassy, (laughs) pretty rude to her brother. And he was like, what is going on? What did I do? And I thought the same thing. Like, where did this come from? This is not my daughter. Probing a little bit more, I discovered that she's not reacting to her brother. She's reacting to someone's comments two days ago in her class. And so here is my daughter, plagued this week by moments of the past, by memories, by things spoken to her that are stealing her joy, that are stealing her peace, and causing her to cause pain in others. Now it's cute as an eight-year-old to have trouble going to sleep. But when it grows up and it becomes insomnia, because you're plagued by nightmares and plagued by anxiety, you and I both know that's no longer cute. That's a problem that you want to be fixed. When someone's being sassy and rude and they've, they've, hurt, they've been hurt, so they hurt other people, that's cute as an eight-year-old and you can deal with that. It's really small problems. But when it grows up and your boss is angry and demanding beyond what he should be, or your spouse reacts to you more strongly than the actual incident, it's no longer cute. It's a problem that needs to be fixed. So let me just state the very obvious that you all know is where I'm headed. What's true for my daughter is true for you. It's true for everyone in this room, that we have these wounds. Every one of us has been wounded because we live in a broken world. Everyone has been wounded because we have interacted with broken people, and we have been the broken people ourselves. And God says, I want to heal that. So whether it's the stuff from 30 years or the stuff from this last week, you didn't know it this morning, but you came to the great physician to be healed. That's why you're here. That's what God wants to accomplish. And hear me, you may say, look, it's no big deal. It was just a blip. 
It was just, you know, a, a, a small thing that happened in third grade. You know, it wasn't a really big deal. <laughs> really? Then why does it change your mood and change your posture and even create anxiety tightening in your chest when it gets brought up? Why has it prevented you from actually praying and talking to God for so long? The issue is not what happened in third grade. The issue is not what happened with your father. Like, the issue does not dictate how you interact with God. Like, God wants to heal that. It can't be over what overcomes you. So don't just shrug it off and move on. Now, I'm talking about small things, moments and memories. But the fact of the matter is that there's bigger things. Statistics show that one in three women, one in six men will experience sexual abuse in their lifetime. And the church rarely ever just talks about it. The church has sometimes been the cause. So even when we do talk about it, it's typically to offer some whimsical words about how God thinks about it and, you know, how it's bad and we condemn it. But aren't you tired of whimsical words? Aren't you tired of platitudes that have no power? God is too. God's tired of you being plagued by these pain and these problems over and over and over again. God doesn't want you to hear whimsical words or kind thoughts. He wants to heal you, and he wants to heal you now. He doesn't want it to go on to tomorrow and next week over and over and over again. He wants to heal you now and put it in the grave where he was so it can be resurrected and can be empty and dealt with and finished. So God wants to heal you. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him heal you today? And I want to be very clear. These emotional and these spiritual wounds, yes, there are other ways to try to treat them that are valuable and important. I believe in them. I've experienced them of counseling, psychiatry, therapy, support groups. All of these things are good. But if there was this array of healing, and then you hear that God is actually more powerful than them, wouldn't it be foolish to not be open to that reality? Wouldn't it be ridiculous to say there is someone more powerful that can be more powerfully and effective and dramatic in changing my life than years of therapy, thousands of dollars spent, but just can heal in a moment? Wouldn't you want that? And all I'm asking you today is to begin to go, all right, I've tried those things and others. Let me try God. Jesus says he is the great physician, that he came for the sick, for the poor, for the hurting, that they would be healed. He came for you, that you would be healed. Will you let him heal you today? And I want to be also clear that I'm not trying to convince you of that reality. I don't believe this needs persuasion today. What I'm trying to do is to get you to act, to get you to take the first step of coming to God and finally saying, I trust you, I will let you do it. The goal and the end today is that you would act upon it. The memories that are coming to your mind, the moments, the pains, yes, that today you would act on that. So how? First is that you would expose your wounds to God. You'd expose them to God. You may have exposed them to other people that you would finally come and say, here are my wounds. So that you would let him make those wounds become scars. They would no longer be open and festering, but they would begin to be healed. They may still have a mark, but they finally have the protection and the healing and the power that they need because scars tell the best stories. That you would 
expose your wounds to God to be healed, that your wounds become scars because your scars will tell the best stories. So what does it look like to expose your wounds to God? First, I want to answer the question of why. Why would you expose your wounds to God? And the answer is very clear, because He was wounded for you. That's what it says. That's what we read. By His wounds, you are healed. By His wounds, you are healed. So He knows your wounds, and He can heal them. And what Peter is speaking to, what the disciples saw, what Thomas experienced was this, that God cared so much about your healing that he was so tired of you looking after other things so that he came into the world, stepped out of glory, stepped out of heaven, took on flesh to dwell amongst you. He was sick of seeing the pain, so he stepped in the middle of it. He was sick of seeing the effects of sin on your life, so he wanted to destroy and ruin it. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I have seen how your choice of sin has opened a door for my enemy, the devil, to come and steal, kill, and destroy. That's his work. He steals your joy. He robs it from you. He robs all peace. He kills your dreams. He ruins your life. He ruins your future, even prevents you from even imagining it. And I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. So everything that he has stolen, I'm going to take it back. Everything he's killed, I'm going to resurrect. Everything he's destroyed, I'm going to restore. And the way that I'm going to do it is by taking a bloodied, gruesome death on a cross, lashings, crowns, nails in my hands and my feet, thorns in my side, that blood could be poured out. Yes, shed for the forgiveness of your sins, but also so I could crush the work of the devil crush the power of sin so that you would no longer be under its dominion. See, when we talk about the cross, when we talk about the crucifixion, we tend to be very myopic or nearsighted or close-minded to it, and we talk about one step of it, and that's the forgiveness of sins, washed clean by the blood of Christ so you can have a reunited relationship with God. It is true it is what you ultimately needed more than anything else. But it is not the only thing the cross did. It is one aspect of the cross, not the whole of the cross. So let's stop being myopic and closed-minded and begin to open up and to see the magnitude of the cross for your life. Yes, it crushed the guilt of your sin before God so you could be united, righteous before Him, healed and healthy in that relationship. But it also destroyed the power of the effects of sin in your life. How it robs you of joy every day and leads you in depression. How it destroys your peace and just tells you fear, fear, fear. How it ruins your ability to be a son and a daughter of God, expecting goodness from Him. Why go to God for healing? Because God was wounded for you so that you would be healed. And by His wounds, you are healed. Or rather, you can be healed. See, you have a step to take. God's already made his move. How will you respond? And for many of us, we've chosen to go somewhere else. Though we can be healed, we have chosen not to. And the real thing that you need to wrestle with is where have you actually gone for healing? 
Because instead of going to God, we typically go to three places. The first is we hide and protect ourselves. If you have a pet, if it's ever been wounded and you try to go and help it, the pet runs away from you. It's afraid of you touching it. Your kids kind of do the same thing, right? My kids do. You know, you hear something happen somewhere and you run to it and they're holding their arm and you're like, what happened? And they're wailing as if the end of the world is coming and you're like, just let me touch. No, don't touch it. It's going to hurt more. And then they finally let you see it and it's this small cut. I'm like, oh my gosh. I thought the bone was sticking out. Now, to be fair, I can't be too hard on my kids because according to Amber, my wife, I'm the real dramatic one in the family. Um, But let's be real. If you've ever stepped on a Lego in the dark, it's worse than getting hit with a car. That's real pain. But we do the same thing with God. We've been wounded and we hide. And we protect ourselves because we think if he touches it, it's going to hurt more. No, I'm going I'm to deal with this. And we turn our back. You weren't there when it happened. You can't be there to heal it. And so we hide. We protect. What we're really doing is we're protecting the cause of the wound and preventing our healing. There's things in us that think, well, we'll just protect that person. They didn't mean to do it. It was just an accident. Like, it was no big deal. The cause is not the problem. And avoiding the cause, whether it's a person or something that just happened, avoiding that is preventing your healing. So you're not doing them a favor. You're not doing the incident a favor. You're not doing yourself a favor. But for those of us who are no longer kind of hiding and protecting ourselves, but actually looking at the wound, the next thing that we do, the second thing, is that we lick our wounds. That we pay so much attention to it, instead of ignoring it, we make it our identity. We say to ourselves, it's just part of my story. I can't change what happened in the past. So I'm going to own it. I'm going to show that, like, I'm strong enough. And it becomes a source of pride. We don't want our wound healed because it's, in some ways, it's our power. And that's a half-truth. Because there is power in the story of pain. If the wound becomes a scar. Because then, after it becomes a scar, it's actually healed and healthy and you can talk about it. But when it's just a wound and you just lick it and you leave it open, it becomes infected. And the devil would love for you to lick your wounds so that he could have an opening in your life so you would stop believing in God and believe more in your strength. So you would stop believing that he has anything to say about what happened to you and he has anything for your future. And it's just about hanging out in the present in this cycle of look how great I am because I can overcome, so can you. And so we lick our wounds and all they do is become infected and we become more sick And so we no longer trust a certain type of person, and we avoid them, no longer trusting and loving. Or we avoid a future type of career that we may have intended to be about because someone said that we couldn't do it, and so I don't want to then fail because then I prove them right. And so now you've established your identity and your career path based on a wound? God's saying, quit licking your wounds. Let them be healed. Let them become scars. But the third and most popular amongst us, especially in this area of the city, is self-medicating. 
that we choose to be our own doctor because we stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so we know what we're doing, right? As the commercial says. We think we know better of how it needs to be treated. And so when anxiety comes around, we think, well, a little bit of alcohol will help, you know. Um, I don't want to face the actual cause of the anxiety. I'd rather just calm it for a while. It worked last night. I should do it again. I mean, I may need to do a few more drinks than last night, but hey, whatever it takes, just kind of calm this and alleviate it for the moment, and then maybe I can move on. And I use alcohol because it's just the most common drug. It's not that alcohol is evil. It's that it's typically our drug of choice. But elsewhere in this area of the city, others choose weed, cocaine. Some people turn to sex and other people because we want this dopamine hit. We want this chemical reaction that will begin to satisfy what has been hurt. We think that that would help. All of us have done it. It never works. So we just turn to one other thing to self-medicate. Oh, good, social media has come around. Now I can get more approval and I can get that dopamine hit by looking at kind of the notifications that come to my phone. That'll feel good. And so we self-medicate and self-medicate and self-medicate. And again, it's not always sinful. So it may not even be extreme like these things. But instead of sex, it's just flirting enough to get that approval with no intent of commitment that it's just a little bit of alcohol because it just eases it. It's not drunkenness. I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, and that's what we tell ourselves. These are our common remedy for our common wounds, and they're not helping. They're not curing us. It's these common wounds, these wounds of parenthood that we experience as children, we tell ourselves, you know, I mean, I didn't get the affection from my father. These other people, they just need to, they just need to you know, be tougher. They just need to overcome that. <laughs> oh, wow, your toughness is really attractive. Thank you. Um, toughness when no tenderness has no power. And so we experience these parent wounds that we never get healed. And so then we are constantly trying to prove ourselves and prove our worth to them. Because if they say they're proud of us, then that will bring healing. And then when they do, it doesn't actually accomplish that, does it? Or other wounds, like religious wounds. It's the religious wounds that actually killed Jesus. How many of us have experienced pain more in church than outside of church? Even coming into this place and hearing these songs creates that kind of feeling of, oh, I don't know if I want to open up to these people. I'm not sure I even want to be here because the church has hurt me. It's let me down. It's disappointed me. It's judged me instead of feeling love. That's true. Because we've been broken. And broken people break others. But God can heal that. I've talked about abuse or trauma, but other wounds are just sin wounds. Habitual patterns that you have cultivated and they've just become a part of you. You've made peace with it. That's just what I'm going to do on Friday night. That's just how I'm going to act when someone does that to me. And so we cultivate these habitual sin wounds that invite the devil into our lives to take control. And we worship them instead of worshiping God. Instead of trusting God, we trust in them. And all it does is just create patterns of life that we're just honestly tired of, but we avoid talking about. 
And so you're tired of this rhythm of life, but you're like, I'll just avoid dealing with it, maybe eventually. Maybe after I retire, I'll face that issue. Maybe when the kids finally get into school and I'm just not exhausted anymore, then I'll deal with that. Oh my gosh, how much are you missing out? How much life are you going to miss out? Because there are moments and memories that have plagued you so that you won't pursue healing. When God says, don't miss all the joy and all the life and all the peace I have now for you, waiting for some healing in the future. Let me heal you now. Expose your wounds to God. And underlying all of this is this lie and this fear that you and I have. God is not good. God does not want my good. Isn't that the underlying fear that we don't fully trust him for? Will it work out for me? Will it be good for me? And that lie is born out of this reality. He didn't stop it when it happened the first time. He didn't step in to make it better then. If he didn't step in then, how can I trust it? He'll step in now. And it's true, he didn't step in. And I don't know why he didn't. I don't know why he didn't step in and stop that happening. One day, one day, I can't wait to be with him face to face and go, let's walk through this. Help me see how you saw, because it doesn't make any sense to me. But just because he didn't step in doesn't mean he doesn't want to step in now. And here's the truth that you need to hear. Just because he didn't step in doesn't mean he did it. He's not the one to blame. He didn't do it. Sin. Broken societies from sin. The devil himself. He is to blame. God did not step in, but he didn't do it. But you know where he did step in? On the cross. You know where he did step in? In the resurrection. So he stepped in to the depth and experienced more pain than you and I have had. Even though our pain is deep and personal, I don't mean to diminish it, but I do mean to magnify his pain. Because if he can heal and overcome that pain, he can overcome yours, whatever it is. So he did step in there. So come and expose your wounds to God and let him heal it. Because then wounds become, can become scars. Wounds can become scars. And I'm only talking about the first step because there's a difference between becoming healed and staying healed. Because even after you experience the healing power of God, you may still need counseling. You may still need psychiatry and therapy and accountability and support groups. You may still need these things. But they have no power if you do not take the first step to the one who has the power. And so it's coming to Jesus. And the first step is pretty powerful and effective, and few of us take it, and it's this. For him to heal your wounds, you have to touch his wounds. For him to heal your wounds, you have to touch his wounds. His wounds are the source of your healing, because they are real, real wounds for every real problem you face, and you have to believe, and that's where it begins. That's Thomas's issue. That is the case for Thomas. So when the story starts talking about Thomas, I think it's interesting that it focuses on his nickname called the twin. <laughs> we didn't like that nickname, so we chose to slander and label him according to his wound and called him Doubting Thomas. <laughs> and he's up in heaven looking at Peter and going, how come you weren't denying Peter? <laughs> What's that about? 
They, 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 John tells, me, tells them my nickname, and they call me Doubting Thomas. And the truth, he's the only daring one enough to just speak what you and I have always thought. I will not believe it until he steps in and shows me. Quit pretending this happened. Until it's right in front of me, I'm not going to believe. And what I love about Thomas is that he's still there eight days later. Even in his doubt, even in his frustration with God not showing up, eight days. He's still there, still waiting, still in that locked room, still with those people. And then Jesus shows up. And the emphasis that Jesus puts is on his wounds. He says, look. And then all eyes, can you imagine it? All eyes kind of turn to Thomas. Like, see, we told you. Even Jesus's. And even though Thomas ran back and doubted, it's Thomas that Jesus goes towards. It's the wounded that Jesus runs to. And Jesus comes to him and says, Look at the wounds. Look at the nails. Look at my side. Hey, oh wait, you didn't want to just see it. You didn't want to just look at it. Here, give me your hands. Touch, feel, experience it. And what is Thomas's response? Can you imagine that moment? Face to face with God, he's probably just weeping and sobbing and all he can get out is my Lord and my God. He doesn't have to apologize. Jesus didn't ask for that. He doesn't have to say, I shouldn't have doubted. I shouldn't have done that. He doesn't have to feel shame. He just says, my Lord and my God. And there in that moment, he's healed. For your wounds to be healed, you have to touch his wounds. And today, Jesus wants you to have that Thomas moment. It's the same invitation. And in fact, Jesus says it's a better invitation to you than even Thomas got. Because he says, oh, you had to see to believe? Blessed. Better for those who do not see and yet believe. And so today the invitation is that you would accept from the prayer team that we have this invitation to enter into a spiritual place, a place of faith where you see and you touch the wounds of Jesus. That that can be your reality. That your physical reality isn't coming and sitting in the room and touching Jesus, but the spiritual world is so real and alive that you can actually enter into that world and see and touch and experience that healing. A few weeks ago, um, Amy Whitman shared her story, and she shared about the retreat and how in 10 minutes of prayer and two hours on a nasty hotel carpet, God healed her. And she talked about how vivid the picture of that prayer of healing was. And I had the privilege of praying for her. But all I did was pray a prayer that someone prayed for me in my deepest and darkest need that they came and they prayed over me. And in prayer, they walked me towards the cross. And in prayer, I began to recount the memories and the moments that had plagued me. The shame from childhood that I experienced from my mom, that I had hidden and yet plagued me in dreams and hadn't talked about. 
And then the moments of rejection from my father and from other leaders and authorities in my life that created depression and doubt and disappointment and fear and anxiety, so much so that I had opened myself up to the devil to where I needed not only inner healing, but I needed deliverance from spirits being cast out, not just dealing with my demons metaphorically, but dealing with my demons real, literally. And then in prayer, being able to walk to the cross, carrying in my fists all that has been told to me, all that has been said to me, all that had been happened to me, and then place it in the side to let the blood and the water wash over and cleanse me of the moments and the memories and the power of the devil that had diminished who I was and was preventing who God wanted me to be. And the same happened for Amy. And it wasn't about God saying, let's forget those memories. Let's pretend they didn't happen. It was destroying their power. It was letting those wounds become scars so that I could stand up here and tell you about it. And Amy could stand up here when she would never do otherwise to tell you, if God did it for me, he can do it for you. If he has the power to heal 30 years of trauma in a moment, couldn't he do it for you? And at the end of that testimony, Amy asked this question. Why wouldn't you want this? If this is the invitation and the offer, why wouldn't you accept it? Why wouldn't you receive it? And hear me, it's not about dealing with the past and that being the end and getting you back to neutral. It's about the life that God wants to do on the other side. It's not about just dealing with that. It's about where you're headed and where God wants to take you. See, because we have such high capacity as humans and here as New Yorkers, where we are able to deal with all this pain and all this wound all the time and still be successful. We're like, yeah, I dealt with that, but look how good I've made it now. And God just goes, oh, really? You're going to settle for that? Ooh, you're going to settle for this practical good of your career success and fame? Oh, you have no idea. You have no idea of the plans and the blessings I have for you. You have no idea of the life and life abundantly that I have on the other side of this if you will just accept my invitation to heal. See, we, have, we are only operating at some percentage of our capacity. Some of you are at 10% and it's low. Some of you are at 90, but there's still that 10%. And your capacity has been limited because you have refused to let God heal your wounds. Because your wounds can become weapons in your life to fight the attacks of others, to fight the sin in your life, or they can become weapons against you. And the difference is, will God heal you? Will you let him? Will you let your trial become God's triumph? Will you let your failure become God's victory? Because in Revelation, it says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And scars tell the best story. By his wounds, you are healed. Let's pray. Father, you have weeped. You have wept. 
with all the things that have caused us to weep. You have been so sad and hurt by all the hurt that we've experienced. You have longed for the day when we would come back to you like Thomas and say, my Lord and my God, and open ourselves up to touch your wounds and let our wounds be healed. God, now give your sons and your daughters the courage to act, to go and to touch your wounds, to go and to taste your body and your blood shed for us, to go and receive the spiritual reality of healing that we so desperately need. Holy Spirit, heal. Apply the healing of Jesus' wounds to every wound in this room. I ask it for your glory to go forth in each and every individual life and in this city. In Christ's name, amen. Like I started today, I said, I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to call you to act. This is now a time of response for you to act. One act is to come and receive communion, where you do get to taste and touch the wounds of Christ. Because he says to the disciples, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so by faith you come and you touch and you taste and you say, I receive it. I'm receiving it. But hear me, communion is not enough. There is something you can receive by prayer that you cannot receive by tasting communion every week. And today, as I ask God, who needs to respond today? He may be talking to you, but I know he's talking to a few people who have let divorce define them, and their divorce has told them that they have no place in the work of God, that their divorce has harmed them and labeled them, that their future is limited from that. And today, you are supposed to go back and to receive healing so that you can have a redefinition of your future that's no longer defined by your past. I also think there today, people who haven't faced their father wounds. A wound of absence for some of you. A wound, a wound of passivity for others. And the worst wound of all, a wound of critique from your father or your mother. And for you, it's a chance to hear your father, God in heaven, your true parent, speak over you that you are his son and you are his daughter and he is well pleased so you can forgive your parents and be freed from their words but hear once and for all the words of your father I know it is for those two groups but you also know if God is looking at you and bringing you back to mind that memory in that moment and saying that one I want to take it from you. It's had too much power. And today, today it's in the grave. So you can be resurrected. Act. Go to God. Go to Him now.